clock, cell phone, wristwatch got reset, and you're here. We're going to start a new study with Dr. Geib. I asked him to uh, consider some of our background in, in understanding of our science classes. Was Darwin right? Was there intelligent design? Is there a dilemma? And he came up with the topic that you see on the handout today, science and sacred selves. As always, we look forward to studying with Dr. Geib and thank him in advance for all his time and effort put into this. He's agreed to do this for four, probably five weeks, but then if there's spinoff, we have some extra time in December. So show your enthusiasm so that he feels encouraged to come back and continue teaching because we all love John. That's biased. <laughs> Let's open in prayer. Father, you spoke us, this world, into its being, its existence with your words. We're reminded that your words are light to our path. They are spirit, and your words are life itself. And yet with them we know that as seeds, they do nothing unless they fall on the right soil. Help us to understand that that soil is us, that's our hearts. And in that sense, we ask, Father, and pray for your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts to receive those words, that we might truly be what you intended us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And, well, good morning. Good morning. Hey, does everyone have one of these handouts? <clears throat> you need one. You know, does anyone not have one? No, we have lots and lots of them. There's a whole bunch up here. But you really need to have one of these because they're brilliant. <laughs> And uh, they for form the foundation of this course, and uh, today is a very important class. Now, um, I apologize ahead of time when we get into some topics today. If you feel, and you're sitting there and you think, oh, well, this sounds like philosophy 101 and not like Sunday school, I'm sorry. Uh, but let me explain to you what I'm trying to do in this course. When Dan first asked me to teach on... Uh, what he seemed to suggest was like this controversy that's going on in our culture right now between uh, strict Darwinism, which we would then call like naturalistic Darwinism or the rise of atheistic Darwinism versus the movement that's called what? Does anyone know? Well, yes, it used to be called creationism, but now it's no longer, that's no longer allowed to be used because it's already been ruled by the Supreme Court that that is a religious movement, and so therefore it's not part and parcel of this discussion of origins. What's the, what's the, uh, uh, what's ID? Intelligent design. So now we have this controversy going on in our culture about that. Okay, now that is something that's very valid. Uh, we are all c concerned about origins, so part of the course will be that. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought also that one of the big problems that we have is really no different than the problems that 
Christians faced, for example, in the days of Galileo, which we're gonna talk about today. And that is, uh, we, we are speaking different languages. So one of the things that we're gonna learn today and talk about is how do we know anything that we claim to know? Okay, how do we know anything? Do you remember this from Philosophy 101? This, my friend here is averting her eyes for me big time. <laughs> okay, it's okay. So, <clears throat> also, um, those of you who have studied with me before, what's the golden rule of every class that I have the privilege of presiding over? There's no such thing, no such thing as, a as a dumb question or a stupid question. Now, how many of you believe this? I want to see. See, very few believe me, believe this. And this is going to be a tragedy because a lot of you are sitting there thinking about many questions that you have as you live in the 21st century with the rise, the mega rise of technology and science. We are no longer living in the 20th or the 19th century. We're living in a totally different era. And so we have tons and tons and tons of questions. And I certainly don't know all the answers, but I want you to be free here. I know, like most of them, I know. Come on now. <laughs> all right. Okay, so, but I mean, I'm not guaranteeing you that I can give you an answer, but I want you to be free to ask some of the questions that you have. And in fact, I even uh, gave you these little green things today. Uh, do you all have one of these, access to one of these? Uh, this is for any that you com come up with as we're studying today. I would love for you to write them down. I know it's not, if you need more space, rip out one of your sheets and go for it. I'm collecting these at the end. And it's gonna help me immensely if I could know some of the questions that you have. This is the way to do it so that it doesn't appear to be a dumb question, right? You can ask anything you want and just don't sign your name and then you're good to go. But also, that's just a little prompt to say, when you do ask questions in this class, there is no such thing as a dumb question. And I, I'm one of the nicest people I've ever met, and <laughs> I've never humiliated a student in all my life, I don't think. I mean, I'm probably inadvertently, but never purposely. So you don't have to worry about that. Now, let's get cracking. Look at the cover sheet, please. Um, you notice we got three S's. Uh, the subtitle might help us a little bit more understand the scope of the course. Towards a 21st century understanding of origins and the telos. Okay, well, let's start with something that you might know. What's the telos? That's fancy for the end. Okay, so uh, this spring, I spoke at Maslin Public Library, I think it was June, and the assigned topic from the Maslin Public Library was um, well, the theories of the end. And it wasn't, they didn't want just Christian theories of the end, they wanted scientific theories of the end. Did you know that scientists have worked out theories of the end? They have an eschatology. Did you know this? It's pretty interesting. So when you start talking about science, you, the, the new big thing, as I've come to learn, and maybe some of you have heard this phrase, is called big history. How many of you heard this phrase? All right, cool. <clears throat> so you're learning a new thing. Big history. What's big history? It's no longer learning history the way we did when we were in school, excluding everybody that's under 20 here. 
uh, when we learned history in school, it was primarily Western history, it was basically civilization, and it involved what? Eating breakfast. And you went to history class, or that's all you thought about was breakfast? My mind was blank because you asked me a question. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what did we do in history class? Yeah, memorize a bunch of dates, and the, th the theory was if you understood all these constituent elements, we didn't understand anything about how we were being brainwashed, what is called historiography, that the facts are selected by the writers of the history, that they leave out other certain facts. We didn't understand any of that. We just took this historical flow that is given to us, memorized the dates, and then said what? Yeah, and we've yes, the test. And then we went and ate breakfast. <laughs> All was good to go. Well, now big history is this notion that no, 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 you don't start with you know like Columbus or something like that. You start from where? From the beginning. And a current scientific theory is that the universe is 13.8 billion years old, um, and. What the notion is, is that since everything is connected into this big one holistic thing, you need to study it that way. And not only study what's happened in the past, but using current scientific viewpoints, project out into the future of what the likely scenarios are going to happen as we observe the universe. Okay, that's big history. And that's, that's what the 21st century mindset's all about. So one of the things that we want to try to do is stay as much as we can in the 21st century. We will dip back at times, as even I'm going to do today, into the 1600s when we talk about Galileo. But I don't want to, this course to be a referendum for all the culture wars that got fought when, in particular. 19th and 20th century have been nothing but a conflict between science and religion. And that skirmish and that fighting is still going on today. And the point of the course is, okay, is that going to continue on, or is there a way in the 21st century that people who believe in the sacred, meaning God, is there a way that we can find a way towards reproachment with science? And also, uh, can we help people that are not yet into the sacred mode, who are scientifically literate, is there a way that those of us who believe in God, in the sacred, can help them and not deter them from coming closer to God by some of the things that we may say that are not scientifically correct. Okay, and then of course the third S is the selves. And this is the one that's really uniquely important in the era that we live in. Because increasingly, and I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit too, when we're entering into the postmodern era, the notion of the self and self-knowledge and self-awareness has increasingly gone up the scale in terms of the way people know. And that's a fundamental starting point that's way different than it was in the 18th and the 19th century. Hey, by the way, do you guys ever watch Breaking Bad? Does anybody do that here? <laughs> Did, do you really, Pastor? <laughs> Alright, well, you know, this is funny, but Breaking Bad was the greatest critically acclaimed TV series in the history, or HBO series, in the history of the world, really. And it's about a guy that broke bad, went bad, and uh, became a meth dealer. He was a chemist by training. 
and be he becomes a manufacturer of methamphetamine. And uh, he takes the persona during the series as he breaks bad of a man named Heisenberg. That becomes his um, persona. And, uh, you know, he has a shaved head because he has cancer and he grows out the... He looks like Pastor Dave a little bit. <laughs> you just have to put a, a black hat on, right? <laughs> and, uh, wh but I don't know if anybody caught the significance of why he called himself Heisenberg. Yeah. Tell us, what's the Heisenberg principle? The, uns the uncertainty principle that on, on uh, the subatomic level, you can know the speed of a molecule, a subatomic molecule, and you can know its location, but you can't know its speed and location simultaneously. And so based on that observation, which is now considered to be indisputable, the whole universe on the subatomic level is what? It appears to be random. There is no pattern or order to it. And it's out of that huge flux of uh, random molecules that are cooking on the subatomic lev level that comes burbling, burbling up, gurgling up, this, these little pockets of what? Order that are temporarily assembled. That's currently the scientific view. And so what happened was is that Heisenberg's principle then got translated into uh, philosophy and into psychology because he also said that nobody can observe. Do you remember studying this, Brian? Every time a scientist observes something, what happened? Changes. You change it. Man, you a hundred years ago, no one believed that. Scientists thought what? That they could study things Yes! That you could study things neutrally, objectively, pristinely, and that your influence, that your insight, that your being there did not cause any uh, impact upon the subject being studied. And over the last hundred years, what have we discovered? <laughs> that, okay, the answer is that's not true, yes. The answer... What, what, what? Jesus. Jesus, of course. Okay, class is over. Have some great donuts. <laughs> go with Jesus. You can't ever go wrong there. Now that we found out that ourselves are intimately bound up with every form of knowledge and there is no neutrality. Woo. That was a blow to the scientific perspective and Einstein hated Heisenberg's principle. Why did he hate it? It was non-deterministic. It was, it, was, it was based on probability, and Einstein's response to that was his famous quote, I, I, that can't be true because, I said it in German, I don't know if I can, Gott, Gott can't play dice with the universe. <laughs> what does that mean? God can't play dice with the universe. He inferred from what? That if everything is just gurgling and chaotic and bubbling and random and these pockets of order come up but they don't represent the whole of reality, then Einstein said what? What was his conclusion? Yeah, I, that can't be. Nevertheless, he uh, 
butted his head up against it for the next 40 years of his life, Einstein did, and came to the conclusion at the end that he couldn't refute it. It's still, to this day, the standing theoretical model that scientists follow. It doesn't make it true, I'm just saying, that's where we're at. So, why do we have to is because we have to understand in the 21st century that everything that we think that we know is also part of the way that we think and the way that we know and that's bound up with ourselves and the notion that you can be totally neutral and objective is phew, what? You can't be. So that's a wonderful relief. I think everybody entered the 21st century at this point to say wow, I no longer have to put on the pretense of what? Being neutral. It, you might as well just admit where your biases are and how you think, and then we'll all work together. And that's a much more fruitful approach than to think that you're sitting on a, on a peak up here and that you're not part of the human... Uh, the, the interaction with everything. So let's leave it at that for now. That's the scope of the course. And what do we want to talk about today? Who has had dramatic training here today? Ah, you have? Could you, like, read on page two? Now, I mean, get, get a mic. Now, you've got to do this. I want you to read, um, you notice we're on number one, how do we know? I want you to read story number one, where did I come from, and employ every one of the dramatic skills that you've been given. One day, a little child had a question. The question was, where did I come from? I'll ask mom and dad, thought the child, because they will know where I come from. So later that day, the child found her dad and asked him the question. The child's father was a pastor and a theologian, and he thought for a moment about the question and then said, my child, you <laughs> sprang from the love your mother and I share together. And the child went away happy delighted that she had come from her parents' love. Later that day, the child visited her mother's office, as she did almost every day. Her mother was a physician who saw many women who were pregnant, for her mother was a gynecologist. While her mother was taking a break, and they were eating the cookies that they did when she visited, the child asked her mother, Mommy, where did I come from? So her mother took her into a special office that had many beautiful charts on the wall. Then her mother explained to her, by the charts, what DNA was, showed her with a microscope what sperm looked like, and explained to her how her father had placed his sperm inside the mother. Then she showed the child a video of the moment of conception, and another video of how a child actually develops in the womb from that time on. Finally, the mother showed her another short video of a baby being born and then said, Dearie, now you know where you come from. Now the child trusted both her parents, but she didn't understand all of what her mother had told her, and it seemed to her that her parents believed quite different answers to her question. So later that night, over dinner, the child said to her parents, Papa, you said I come from the love you and Mama share. And Mama, you said I come from the DNA cells you and Papa shared. And what I want to know is, which one of you is telling me the truth about where I come from?
Nice dramatic reading. Okay, who's got the answer? They're both telling the truth? Uh, one is speaking uh, what kind of language? One speaking metaphorically? Really? Poetically? The other is speaking scientifically. scientifically. You okay with both of them being true? He said, <laughs> say again and remember you're in a group of philosophers. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, for some men it doesn't. That's correct. <laughs> uh, it doesn't necessarily have to, but, you know, in our, in our culture it's touted just listen to the radio for two hours. What's it all about? Well, yeah, but it's always got a romantic twist to it somehow. Right? At least a modicum of romantic. <laughs> Okay, so what if we called the one way of looking at things, the pastor's, the theologian's way, we call that presentational language or subjective language or talking about how something feels to us. <laughs> what if we said it that way? It's, it's called presentational language. It's the way things feel to us. So we describe things presentationally or subjectively. So for example, did anyone see the sun uh, rise this morning? Tells me a lot about this crowd. Uh, <clears throat> uh, did you really see the sunrise? No, you didn't. What you really saw was what? The earth rotating on its axis into the rays of the sun. But nobody's going to talk like that. Why? Hey, I could have said, hey, did you guys see the, uh, the uh, earth rotate into the rays of the sun this morning? And you would have said, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> one's presentational. The way it appeared to me this morning was the sun actually rose. And so we accept that as conventional language. That's the way it appeared. That's the way it felt. And now we realize that there's also another scientific explanation. And we live comfortably in this world of both being, uh, what did you say, not mutually exclusive. So we can live with it that way too. <coughs> okay, let's move to the next story. And now we're moving into this big time question, how do we know? Galileo the move from a geocentric to a heliocentric view of our solar system. And when I say the Roman Catholic Church, no one understand that I do that for historical reasons only. You could put 90% of all of the other churches in the world into that category. It just so happens that they were the major church and Galileo was a Catholic. So they got all the controversy 
and a lot of the bad press. So don't take what I'm taking here as an anti-Catholic thing at all, because the Protestants had the same issues, and we could go on and on about that. So what do we know about Galileo? What's he famous for? Uh, he was a, an early founder. I learned a lot of stuff about him when I read about him. He had like a little side business. You never think about these geniuses this way. They had a little side business making telescopes, and he would sell them. And he put little instruction manuals in them for how to use them. And then, if you wanted to, he'd offer a course and actually show you for three times the cost on how to use them. And I, that just cracked me up to think of Galileo in this little shop selling telescopes to other people and then teaching them how to use it. But he was famous for the telescope in, in using it in what way? What did he demonstrate? What was his breakthrough? The sun is the center of the solar system, and the earth moves around that, whereas prior to that, the, the um, earlier uh, view uh, was what? That the earth is at the center, and the sun goes around that. And why did people believe the first view, which would be called the geocentric view, why did they think that the earth was at the center and everything rotated around it? Why did people believe that? Uh, well, yes, the Bible appears to say that. Um, and wh Doc, where does it say that? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, let's find it. It's in the book of Genesis. Let's read this language. It, it appears that the Bible actually says that. So find Genesis 1. And uh, starting at verse 14 and going down to verse 17. Ready? Genesis 1. It's in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day. What's that? Sun. Sun. Lesser light to rule the night. Sun. And the stars. God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day, over the night, to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Okay, so when you look at it from that point of view, it, you're, it's looking from uh, what kind of a point of view, that description of creation? Where, where are you standing when, when you, for that to be true? A great light, a, moon, a, a little lesser light, and the little twinkling stars. You're on Earth. This is a geocentric perspective. This is not written from a cosmic perspective. If it was written from a cosmic and scientific perspective, it would be utterly false, because why? Well, what does he call the sun? A great light. Is the sun a great light? What do we know about it now? It's a medium-sized medium star. And there's like so many of them that it's like absurd. Like I, next week I'll dazzle you with scientific information. But I mean, it's, you, it's like taking a grain of sand, literally, off the seashore at uh, where? Cancun. <laughs> and uh, picking it up. And that's like what our sun is compared to, to the, the amount of sand that's left. So it's not a big star. It's a medium star. Susan, you were going to say. Brilliant, great question. And you just led us to 
one of the things about the Bible that we have to struggle with? Of course not, because why? Because all those books were written when? The, the religious books that give explanations for these kinds of things. Written before the, pro, the modern scientific era. So they are all written from the perspective of basically pre-scientific. Not non-scientific and not anti-scientific, just what? Pre-scientific. So they then tend to write from a presentational point of view. This is the way it looks to us. And of course, if you're living on earth, it's true. The sun is what? It is the great light. And the moon is a little light, and the, and the stars are little twinkling dots. That's the way it looks. So it's, it's true to our lived experiences. It's just not true in what way? It's not true in a rigorously scientific way. Now the question is, is the Bible got a problem with it because it didn't choose to speak the, the, the language of science? Is that a problem? It, it may be for some folks. Well, that's another brilliant point. If you would have put Einstein's uh, famous equation down in the Bible as one of the constituent elements of how creation came to be, people have, does anyone know, can anyone give me a brief explanation of E equals MC squared? Say it louder. <laughs> um, okay, so that, that theory was published in 1905, and just to show us, and we're 112 years down the road, and I mean, if they took every one of us in a room and grilled us down to the bone of what we knew about Einstein's theory, how long do you think you'd last? I mean, we've got the cartoon version of it in our head, but not very many of us could really unpack it and make sense out of it scientifically, which just confirms your point. If God would have tried, if anybody tried to explain the origin of the universe in scientific terms back then using scientific language, then what? Not accessible. Okay, so let's back, go back to Galileo. So he's using a telescope and his observations are telling him what as he stares through it? And he's doing this year after year, making minute observations through his telescope, watching things like the transit of Venus, which was one of the ways that he proved uh, th that the uh, sun is actually at the center, and many other observations he made. And what was his conclusion? Okay, did he ever say that the Bible was not correct? Now, he never said the Bible was not correct. In fact, one of his famous little quips was, the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to tell you how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. That's slick. <laughs> well, what does that mean? The Holy Spirit uses the Bible to tell us how to go to heaven, 
not how the heavens go. Because at controversy was what? The Bible is using subjective presentational language to describe the universe from a geocentric point of view. Galileo is looking at the universe from what kind of a point of view? Observational science and not assuming a geocentric perspective and all of a sudden, you have to, I don't think we can understand the enormity of the, the mental revolution that happened at that time. They were being asked to do what? Completely flip their worldview and understanding. And it was threatening to people, because why? What was the existential threat? If Galileo is right, if the sun is at the center, if the earth is merely a little, uh, another planet along with a number of other planets going around the sun, what's at risk? What's at stake? Everything else could be wrong, but it, certain people in that time took it as a big threat to them, their faith, their, their beinghood, their personhood as humans. Yes, it's the great light within our sphere of experience. He did see it on both sides. He, he, he said, yes, the Bible's telling you the truth, assuming you're looking at things from an Earth-centered point of view. But if you step out and look at the universe from my point of view using my telescope, suddenly then what? Well, lots of people thought it was very uh, threatening to the human experience. Why? Can you see why? When the Earth was at the center of our solar system and everything was going around the Earth, and on Earth, who's the highest? Who's ruling the Earth? Mankind. And who's ruling mankind at that point? What's the Christian theory? What's the Christian viewpoint? that God has put the church in place in, in, in <coughs> to rule and reign and have dominion over this earth. And suddenly, all the Christians in the world suddenly got told, guess what? You're not at the center of the solar system. Do you see that? You're not at the center of the solar system anymore. Now you are what? A, another planet floating around with other planets now circling the sun. You're no longer at the center. And yes, Joanne. Exactly. Now we ex <clears throat> now it's not a, not a threat, right? Because now you look at that and say what? Uh, my my faith, my knowing of God, is not necessarily tied to a architecture that I have to be at the center. It just turned out to be that that's what we used to think. So um, they read the Bible, and the Bible is written from a presentational point of view, a subjective point of view, a geocentric point of view, and then they said to Galileo, what? They did. They, he, they, call, they accused him of vehement heresy. So they went through a series of steps with him, tried to get him to recant. They, they actually were um, not as mean as some people have made it out to be. But in the end... Where was Galileo? 
under house arrest and not allowed to publish his works. So he was banned, he was put on the index, they were not allowed to read this stuff because it was, yes Dave? I, I read somewhere where it was actually his middle finger that they preserved. Now see, you're ruining the story because the irony of human history is, is that his middle finger is preserved under glass for the ages. How interesting. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, well... <coughs> It was all, it's all good. He, he was a tough guy. 1992, the Roman Catholic Church said what? Sorry. He, you were right. And they apologized. Hey, they, they should be given kudos for this. Um, I mean, I think it's a great example. We can all look at times and we said certain things in our life and we got to go back and say, sorry, I was wrong about that. Did that. They said we were wrong. Galileo is now recognized, so they, they moved on. So what, what can we learn from this? Yes. The truth is always right. It's the correct thing. The world upside down, so you couldn't stand the truth. And our truth is going to keep changing from day to day. You mean our scientific truth? Okay, so science is always accumulating knowledge and growing. Thank you. That's, that's a great thing. That's its task, is to accumulate knowledge about the world as it is. So it's never going to stop, and now we're living in an era, the 21st century, it's like the floodgates are open. Yes, sir? Because that's the takeaway that you want to learn from Galileo, that we should just accept that science is a reality, it's a way of knowing, and go with it. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Ah, that, did everyone hear that question? He wanted to know whether the church was upset about his view per se or whether they were worried about the sociological, psychological, political ramifications of what would happen if such a truth came out. That's a great point. It's actually the Pope that was working with, the, um, with Galileo at the time said, I want you to write a book. I want you to put forward the strongest arguments for the heliocentric viewpoint, the sun-centered viewpoint, and the strongest arguments for the geocentric point of view, and really make it a great book. And then at a certain point, I want you to put my, Pope Urban's, point of view in there too. And then that way, everybody can read both sides and also know where the Pope stands and all will be good. So uh, Galileo, and this explains why it's funny that his middle finger is in a <laughs> museum somewhere. So, so he went and proceeded to write the book, but of course, the name of the guy that he put in as the advocate for the geocentric viewpoint, he named Simplicitas. Okay, sorry, my Latin is failing me. <clears throat> the word is simpleton in English. He named the guy simpleton. That's advocating the earth-centered point of view. And so... When that book got published, 
everybody looked at it and he slanted the, the arguments for sure. And so that's why they got mad at him because what did he From the finger on the job, yeah. Hey, Galileo was a tough-minded guy. You've got to give him uh, credit. Here he is studying for years and years and years and making a scientific breakthrough, and people are telling him what? You've got demons in your telescope. You're crazy. You're a heretic. I mean, he did pretty good all in all for the struggle that he was in. Now, can you think of any modern analogs to this in our 21st century? Like Joanne said, you don't even think about this anymore, right? And the more that you learn how big the universe is, it just, just say, really big. <laughs> God's really big, God made it. But what can you think of as some modern analogs? Yes, sir. Ah, you mean when people said, no, we didn't really do it. We just landed out in the, in the Nevada desert and, and lied. And okay, yeah, that's true, yes. Uh, in what way? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's like another scientific yeah. uh, quandary. Like, n the current model is the Big Bang, so yeah. people are very worried about that. Yes. I think that doesn't... Well, yes, right, right, right. You can, it, it doesn't ruin it, really, but, but it is a controversy, right? I mean, any other a analogs for today that you can think of? That our young people, like maybe 400 years from now, We'll look back and say, what were they arguing about? Uh, thank you. Now here's a place where what? Uh, s the sacred, mm -hmm. science, and selves intersect in the 21st century. And now, like, we are able to su study people and subject them to chemical analysis and DNA analysis. And some s research and studies have shown what? Issue. Some studies have su suggested what? On, on sexual... How about the, how about the Kinsey report? Kinsey report. They put people in a, on a spectrum of seven, on a scale of seven, from absolutely stone cold uh, uh, one gender orientation all the way over to same sex um, orientation, complete. But there's five steps in between. And so th that's the way scientific sociological research has shown humans to be. The, the notion that people are completely straight or completely gay turns out to be what? Something that's not really true. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Isn't that incredible? Now, what do we do with that? That's one of the issues we face. But the question is, that you brought up, is totally appropriate. In the 21st century, we're facing all these issues, and science is continuing to rise, right? And we have the sacred over here, and we have ourselves in the middle, and we're trying to balance all these. Now, Dave, you were going to say something, I think. Well, 
Yes, and we learn that from social knowledge. So can you think of anything else uh, that where science, sacred, and the selves conflict? Or stem cell, uh, stem cell research. Um, it's not, it's not, you're not allowed to call it global warming any longer either. What's the, what's the new? What, I'm just telling you this so you don't get nicked. It's not global warming. It's what? Climate change. <laughs> well, yes, but they mean big climate change. Well, is that the... <laughs> well, you walked into that one. <laughs> uh, and do you think that they will be, uh, uh, besides the humor and the joke, uh, do you think that they will be right in that assessment? Uh, are people now simpletons? Is that how you look at um, people in Galileo's day? They were simpletons? So how do you? Galileo dealt with our solar system. I don't think Galileo knew about the Milky Way, which is a pipsqueak galaxy. He saw it, and, and he didn't know what to do with it because his telescope wasn't powerful enough to unpack it. It looked like um, gossamer gauze to him. He couldn't make out the distinctions that this is really just millions and billions of stars. Yes, sir. Well, there's too many issues in our own day of it is an African American equal to white Anglo Saxon male? Is a woman equal to a man? Where does that, uh, like, these are 21st century issues, but now we have certain things like science that can help us resolve a lot of these things. So, the new great American uh, legal case, 1857. Scott! And how could science have helped us in the 1857 Dred Scott Supreme Court case? total human being, could approve his humanity, DNA-wise, because the Supreme Court of our country in 1857 said, what about Dred Scott? Not beating up on anybody, I'm stating historical fact. Wasn't really human because he was a chattel, and therefore he was wor worth three-fifths of a human, correct? So once you deny somebody's humanity, then you can do what with them? Anything you want. They're not human. So, um, wow, there's an example, right, Dave, of how science. That's the point I was making. Yes. It might not have mattered then, but it matters now. And that's why I want to learn from the past so that we don't keep replicating these errors. What are we learning about science, really, if it's properly used? It tells us the truth about what? About, about 
physical existence, about material things. And it's helpful to us in many ways. Whether it's an opponent or a threat of faith is what we're arguing about in the 21st century. So here we go. How do we know when we already have one? And we'll do this on science. By the way, if you don't want to take notes and you want to just look on your sheets, you can turn the page and look on the left-hand column. The question is, how do we know? Now, don't look at the answer. They're down there. Don't look, though. What's another way that we can know? Besides science. Um, yes. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we could call that um, self-knowledge. We know things uh, from self-experience, self-knowledge. Experience, yes. Uh, yes, and I'm going to, because I want all these things to line up with S's so that you'll remember them. I'm going to call this one sense. What I mean is common, which I mean then is an appeal to which your parents gave to you when you were kids. Where is your common sense? That was an appeal to what? Your, uh, uh, your logic, right? So yeah, there's a, there's a thing inside of human beings that we have the capacity to do logical thinking and logical inferences, and it's an art, and it's a science, and it's an academic discipline. You can go crazy with it, formal logic. It is a way that human beings come to conclusions and know things. And what else? Uh, yeah, and that would be, you've got to start it with an S. So that would be sacred knowledge. Well, that science, scientific. Uh, ah. Did you look on the list or did you not? Social knowledge. Uh, where would you learn things socially? From your family? From the society that you live in? What Dave was just talking about, nurture. Plus, this goes crazy because social... Social, you know, when we, when we get these all spread out, uh, Richard put this up here. I guess you can listen to this later on, which you'll certainly want to do. You don't want to listen to the Browns, right? So you do um, sacred knowledge, and you do science, and you do social knowledge, and under that, you're going to have to put what? These are ways that humans know. So we did, you know, your family and your immediate society, but then what else? What academic disciplines grow? Uh, y your education is part of that, but what academic disciplines draw exclusively on social knowledge? Ways that we know, th what? Like psychology. like psychology and what else? All of the disciplines that have to do with humans as a social creature, all of these disciplines, these are all ways that human beings grow in knowledge, social knowledge. <coughs> Huge. Huge ways of knowing things. Uh, what else do we have? Self and sense, logic. 
This judges all of the things that you know inside of yourself, including things like um, what, is a, what do females always claim to have? What's female intuition? What is that? Okay, now why did women get associated with female intuition? Why did they? Why did? Why did we just leave it as intuition? Do males have intuitive in, insights? No. <laughs> what is intuition? I mean, the the problem. That, but we're laughing about it because when somebody is intuitive about something, when you say to them, "How did you get from A to G?" And they say, it's just a feeling. I, I, yeah, it's just, uh, I have a feeling about this. The, w what category, they could be right. But you can't say, well, prove it to me with logic, because why? You can't, and you can't subject intuition to science. And um, I guess you could always claim God behind it, but... Usually people that are intuitive. It's just a way of knowing something within yourself. We don't really understand it. There's different, a lot of different ways in here. So let me ask you guys a question. Um, <clears throat> what happened in Galileo's day? Let's tie this together and then form a basis for going forward. What happened in Galileo? This is a, a way of knowing, right? You guys all came to church today and you come to church all the time because you believe. There, there is a sacred reality. For, for real, you're not just saying that I go to church because it makes me feel happy. You're saying there really is a sacred being, God. You believe in God and you can know God. Well, you could be... Uh, having all kinds of different issues going on, growing towards it. But I mean, eventually when people say they, they believe in the sacred, they mean they don't think it's just private. They mean they think it's real. God really does exist and I'm in contact with God, right? right. So what happened in Galileo's day? The sacred got a way of talking about the sacred got put into a particular box, which was what box? The presentational box, the subjective box, which they derived from the Bible. And then Galileo gave them another alternative view using what? Scientific language. And there wasn't anybody in the, in the center here to help the two languages communicate. Does that make sense? Now we look back on it and we say what? It, it isn't an inherent conflict um, as long as you understand that the Bible wasn't trying to make a scientific statement in the first place. Now, all of this to say is, can anybody come up with any other way of knowing than the five ways that I've put up here? And it's fine if you can. I just want to see. Any other way that you think human beings can know stuff other than those five ways? Well, yes, and then you'd have to ask them, and how do you know that? In a nice way. 
And they would say, intuition. Or they would say, uh, God revealed it to me. Or they would say, we, we have demonstrated and learned this from science. Or they would lay out for you almost like what a lawyer would de- do, a crisp legal brief using bare-knuckled logic inexorably driving you to a conclusion, and they would say, this is how I know because it makes logical sense. But yes, you would, you would be getting it from a social. That's why science, selves are always involved in all of these ways of knowing. So uh, can you think of anything else? Doc, you got anything? Uh, unless they would, I mean, you could use, uh, I mean, next week I'll show you some of the ways that we kind of weed out things that can't really be true or probably aren't true. But f- for real, I mean, if somebody believes something inside of their heart, you can't just tell them that they're wrong. Because for them, that's the organizing principle of their consciousness right now. So. N- I know, but see, now you can see why the task that we have in the 21st century is so dicey. Because <clears throat> there's lots of people whose faith, their belief in God, is tied to a particular way of looking at the universe or a particular theory of the origins of life. And when you destroy that particular theory, to them, inside of their mind, what's, what's going on? You're destroying their faith. This is what happened to people in Galileo's day that they were afraid of, that it was going to destroy people's faith. But what we've learned, I think, is what? That, that I think the National Science Academy says about 60% of the members believe in God. So, I mean, it's not incompatible. So, um, can anybody think of anything else that we... Uh, by w- how do we know? Would it be what you were just saying, like working with what, with what you've got, with what they have already, their belief system? That's yourself. <coughs> that's that's you, yourself using all the ways you know. Genetic, is that under science? Genetic? Yes, your, your DNA is a scientific way of knowing, yeah. All right, so here's your assignment for this week. <coughs> um, look on page four. Actually, you have two assignments. One is your question that you were going to give me. The second is, look on this left-hand column. I want you to make a listing or draw up your own way that you know things. Now, if you don't like linear ranking, that's okay. Uh, But you can draw a picture or a portrait, and I want you to show me or show yourself, actually, not me. How do you use these five ways of knowing? And uh, when, when you get done with that, you're going to bring it next week, and it's going to help us. If you know how you know, it's going to help you a lot to know how other people know, and it will also learn, help you to learn how to communicate between these different forms of language. Does that make sense? 
But first you've got to know how you know. So you do that assignment and come back next week. Give me your questions. And let me read. Uh, I, there's a friend here that gave me. I asked him to do a project for me. Write up some questions that he had about um, uh, origin, science, and faith. Uh, don't give me something this long. <laughs> Just kidding. Look at some of these great uh, questions. Uh, does modern cosmology refute Genesis creation story? Uh, did God create the singularity which precursed the Big Bang? Uh, could God have created multiple universes and chosen not to tell us about them? So these are kind of the questions that are floating around in people's minds today. I want to hear some of yours, and then we're going to try to put them together and progress onward. So uh, thank you for coming today. God bless you. Have a great day. And uh, have fun with science. <laughs>